Welcome to the 138th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will do our weekly division-by-division look at Major League Baseball and predict every playoff series in the NBA. Let's start off with that look at baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. At the top of the standings in the AL East, we have the New York Yankees at 4-3, tied with the Toronto Blue Jays, also at 4-3, and, and the Tampa Bay Rays, also at 4-3. and three. You have the Red Sox at 3-3 three and three right behind them, and then the Orioles in the in the basement of the division, as expected, at 1-5. I will say, all of these records are heading into today, just to make it a little bit easier and not have to wait for all those West Coast games that start at 7 and, well based on how baseball works, sometimes carry on all the way until 11 or even later. Uh, just so we don't have to wait for those to get done, we just go with what the record was going into the day. So, based off of those records, that's where we stand. Uh, look, so far the AL East has been, I think, as good as expected. Uh, maybe the only team that you could say not as good is probably the Red Sox, but uh, the Rays have been pretty good. Uh, the Blue Jays have been very good, and the Yankees have also been very good. I actually will say the the Rays four and three record looks on point for them, but with their schedule, I, I really do think they should be better than four and three because other than I mean I mean their their schedule to open the year is against the A's and the Orioles, who are supposed to be probably bottom five teams. I think you could argue, uh, and at least I think I don't think I have the Rays bottom five anymore in the league, but I had them somewhere near that before. So I, I think look. That schedule, you should, I mean, by the way, they did sweep the Orioles uh, at home, but then the A's went on the road and took three of four from the Rays on the road. So that's a bad look for the Rays uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, and look, I-, I talked about it on the last podcast that the Rays made their, made their big, got their big lead over uh, the Red Sox last year. They finished above them by eight games total, but they had a six game lead on them if you counted their records only against the Orioles. So they like to feed off of the bad teams, so it's not a good start for them to be 4-3 and three with probably two of the we- easier series on their schedule uh, already out of the way. But look, it's early in the year. They'll be better at doing that, uh, getting that, capitalizing on those easy matchups later in the year because everybody is a little bit rough to start out the year. We've seen many series that the results don't make much sense, but look, that, that's just the way it is to start the season. But uh, I will say... In terms of team leaders here, uh, the most important one is that uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is leading the league in home runs currently with five. Uh, he had a three-home run game against Garrett Cole as the starting pitcher, which was pretty impressive. So, look, you got there's a lot of stuff going on, but Vlad looks like he's on his pace to be the Vladdy that we saw last year. Uh, and overall, I think the division is pretty much just what, just what was advertised before the season. Okay, let's move over to the American League Central. We have a surprising first-place team in the AL Central, although they're tied with the divisional favorites. A first-place team, the Cleveland Guardians, 4-2 and two on the year. Uh, they're also tied with the Chicago White Sox, who are 4-2. and two. The Detroit Tigers are 3-4. and four. The Twins are 2-4, and four, and the Royals are 2-4. and four. Uh, Some divisional series going on right now, just between the Tigers and the Royals, actually, but... Twins getting some tough challenges at Fenway. We'll see how they how they come out of that. Uh, and Cleveland playing the Giants at home. So all these teams have tough tests this weekend, and the White Sox are playing the Rays. So all of them have tough tests, and then the Tigers and the Royals have divisional games there. So it'll be an interesting week to really see. I feel like 
even though it's only, what, six or seven games into the season, I still feel like there's no more opening day, there's no more excuse of it's opening day, they're not playing well because the season just started. It's starting to get into the point where you should at least be starting to not necessarily kick it into mid-season form because after all, it's eight game eight of a 162-game season, but I feel like teams are starting to at least get a little bit of their identities. There aren't any more hitters that are hitting like uh, literally no hits on the year. I mean, I know Miguel Sano had no hits going into today. I know he had a two-run home run because I was watching it, but that was his first hit of the year. I know Eddie Rosario was hitting 043 after coming off a very, very good postseason last year. So there are still some people that have to get back into the swing of things. But I think eventually, I think we're getting to the point where those individual slumps to start the season, they're really going to turn into long-term problems or they're just going to be fixed already. Uh, But I will say, credit to two people, mainly, on Cleveland— uh, Jose Ramirez, the best third baseman in baseball, leads the team and the league in RBI at 14 so far, leads the league in hits at 13, uh, and uh, and overall just having a great season, is averaging has a 464 average to start the year. Obviously, it's early, but still, that's a lot. Uh, and look, he's having a great season, and then also, and, and also, by the way, he's tied for third in, in home runs with three, uh, but also the surprise of the year is Stephen Kwan for the Cleveland Guardians, a rookie, uh, not necessarily a favorite for Rookie of the Year or anything. He was somewhere up maybe in the top 10 in odds, maybe maybe even just outside the top 10, but definitely not supposed to be a heavy favorite for that for that award. And yet he came into the season, at some point, I think four or five games in, he was still hitting like 690 or something on the season. He went his first 116 uh, pitches without swinging and missing once which was a record since they started tracking that. Uh, And he actually made contact 37 or 38 times, I believe, before he had a swinging strike. So it's not like he wasn't swinging at all. He swung 37 times, made contact every single time, had a great hot start to the season. And that really helped Cleveland uh, get off to their hot start as a team. Uh, But moving on from Cleveland in first place, the White Sox, look, they're 4-2. If they're 40-20 and 20 by the 60-game mark of the season, they're going to run away with this division. And the reason why I say that is because they are banged up everywhere. They have so many injuries they're dealing with. Tim Anderson was suspended for two games to start the season. Lance Lynn hasn't pitched yet uh, and won't pitch for a little bit because he is dealing with an injury. Uh, they've had other injuries. I believe Josh Harrison now got injured too. So look, they're having a lot of trouble with, with injuries, and that's just, that's just going to be something they have to deal with uh, to start the season. And it's something they dealt with a lot of last year. But, you know, after all, it's not like you're supposed to go into the season injured. And it's not like you're supposed to go through the whole season being injured. So the White Sox do have an excuse to even be in a little bit of a slump right now. But they're still not. They still took two of three from the Tigers, uh, even with Tim Anderson not playing two of those games. And overall, they're going to be just fine. I think they're going to win this division no matter what. uh, Especially because I think they've dealt with the injuries before. They can deal with them again. And I I, I think this year, hopefully, they have less. Uh, but Carlos Rodon, obviously not there because he left to go to the Giants. Uh, but he was one of those guys who was injured last year, too. Him and Lance Lynn did not pitch very many innings, even though they were great in the innings they did pitch. But Dylan Cease is going to have to anchor this pitching staff, and same as Michael Kopech. While those two are out, uh, they're going to have to make sure that the starters uh, keep the bullpen a little bit fresh. Uh, and we'll see how it turns out for the White Sox, but that bullpen is definitely very strong. If they need to lean on it, they can. Uh, and then when you look at the Tigers, the Twins, and the Royals, a lot of guys were, I mean, 
You look at the Tigers, the Twins, and the Royals, actually, all of them have new shortstops this year, all coming from different places. The Tigers picked up Javi Baez. Uh, the Twins signed Carlos Correa for the for the largest deal by average annual value, value in, in MLB history, uh, with three years and I think 105 point something million. And then you also have, and by the way, Javi Baez is going to be in Detroit for six years. Then you also have Bobby Wood Jr. getting called up to the Royals. He's the number one overall prospect in baseball, so... Very, very quality, talented shortstops coming up for all of these three teams that really could help them make a run themselves. And uh, I just mentioned Stephen Kwan as the addition for the Guardians, even though it wasn't really much of an addition. He just came up through their system. But the Tigers are also getting Spencer Torkelson, their number one overall prospect in their system. I believe he was number four overall prospect in the MLB heading into the year. Uh, And eventually they'll get Riley Green when he's not injured anymore. And then obviously they added Austin Meadows through the trade. So... They made significant upgrades to their roster. They are looking like a better team. They've played better to start the season. Uh, and, and look, I think all three of these teams are, are going to have an interesting battle to see who can get to third. And I think, honestly, whoever gets to second might actually make the playoffs. It's very, very possible that the ALEs teams just beat up on each other. And it's also very possible that the Angels didn't, the Angels do what they always do and the Mariners repeat what they did last year where they just barely missed out on the playoffs. So a lot of things are possible in this division. Uh, those teams just need to keep keep trying to go and keep trying to win, and they definitely have the rosters to do it. They might be a little less, uh, obviously. You know, the Angels have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and a lot of talent there, but I still think that these teams are well put together enough that they can even make good runs at a playoff uh, at a playoff uh, appearance this year. So a lot of teams in the Central can contend. A lot of them might even end up being just not so good at, at all. But I think overall this division is solid and it will get better over the next few years when some of these young guys continue to come up and mature into veterans even. So this division's in a good place and I think even the White Sox are in a good place too. I know I just talked a lot about the AL Central for really no reason, but it's an interesting division. Well, the one thing you didn't talk about is your favorite stat with the Guardians leading in run differential so far, plus 23 on the That's strength true. of leading Major League Baseball with uh, 45 runs scored. A so lot of runs. Potent offense. All right, well, let's move over to the American League West where... There's another team with a lot of runs scored, surprisingly. Uh, the Astros are leading this division at 4-2, and two, but the team you're talking about with a lot of runs scored is the Oakland A's, which is really, really surprising. Uh, but they're only at 4-3. and three. You have the Angels at 3-4, and four, the Mariners at 3-4, and four, and the Rangers at 2-4. and four. If the A's can continue this kind of play, this by far is the deepest division, not the best division, but the deepest division there is in baseball because the Rangers are probably the best last place team in the division right now, I would argue. Uh, so look, this is a good division uh, overall, I think. Even though it is a good division, it might end up that only one of these teams gets into the playoffs and that's probably going to be the Astros. I, I still think the Astros are going to win this division. Uh, Justin Verlander came back at, at, really on schedule to start the season and pitched ridiculously against the Angels. So... To see that happen at the very beginning of the year, uh, in in a similar fashion to a pitcher in the NL West that we'll get to later, uh, when when he's that dominant to start the season, they're in a very good place right now. Uh, I like where the Astros are at. I like where the Mariners are at just because I like their roster overall, although it hasn't come together for a great start to the season. They're still 3-4. and four. I mean, look, it's early in the season. These records don't matter. It's, if you're under 500 right now, who cares? You win one game and all of a sudden you're at 500 again for almost all of these teams. Uh, the Angels continue to just somehow not be as good as maybe they should be with the talent they have, but that's an ongoing conundrum that no one can really solve. 
And then the A's are really the overachiever in this division so far, although I will say they didn't look great in the Phillies series. I'm just surprised at how bad the Rays looked in the in that series against the A's. I wouldn't I, I'm not on the side of giving the A's too much credit for that series. I think the Rays just looked pretty bad. Uh, but you know, you can't just you don't just lose a series. You can lose a game because one team plays poorly. I don't think you can lose a, I don't think you can take three or four in the series without playing well yourself. So uh, the A's were obviously doing something right. But overall, this division could be interesting to follow come the end of the year. All right, let's take a break from the American League. Well, let's just move off the American League and move over to the National League, also starting in the Eastern Division. The leader in the East right now is the New York Mets at 5-2. and two. Uh, They, well, I won't, I don't really feel like I should say their run differential because... It includes today's game. So including today's game, they're second in the league in run scored, but that means that that's also giving them a game advantage over everybody else in the league. They're the only team to play eight games as of this morning. They had a really early day game, and they scored 10 runs in that game. So if you take that out, they're, st- they're still a very above average. They're a good run scoring team right there with the Dodgers, above teams like the Giants, above teams even like the Rockies. So they're still good overall, but it's not it's a little bit skewed by that game against the Diamondbacks that they played this morning, so I won't say too much about the run differential. But overall, I like how the Mets have been to start the year. Uh, they're they're healthy other than DeGrom, uh, and their lineup is producing enough. Francisco Lindor is having a good start to the season. You know, he's has issues. He had some issues last year. He wasn't necessarily hitting like the all-star that he once was. His production kind of slowed down a little bit. But this year to start the year, he's having a good year. And uh, their additions, Sterling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, they're all, they've all been pretty good, and obviously a big addition is Max Scherzer, and obviously Max Scherzer's been fine, So and Chris Bassett, too, has been a good starter for them. So overall, I like how the Mets uh, have played. And let's move on to the second, third, fourth, and fifth place teams. I'll just put them all in one basket because they're not all really doing so well. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies are 3-4 and four at the beginning of the year. Not too great for them. They probably should be a little bit better. You have the Nationals, who are 3-5. and five. It's probably about what we expect from them. You have the Braves, the defending champion Braves at 3-5, and five, and then you have the Marlins at 2-4 and four at the bottom. The Marlins have played a somewhat tough schedule, so I'm not entirely surprised that they're not doing too well, and they're supposed to be kind of a, not necessarily a, a great team. They're not necessarily supposed to be a good team, more like a middle of the pack, maybe 15-20 to 20 in the power rankings kind of a range team. So this is not terrible for them when they've played their schedule. They'll beat up on some bad teams later in the year and get closer to 500, maybe even finish a few games above 500. Maybe make the playoffs? Probably not, but they, they have a chance. They do have some kind of a chance. Uh, but let's go to the Braves. Obviously, they're the big talking point. I'm not going to talk much about the Phillies or the Nationals because, honestly, haven't really followed what's been going on with them much. Uh, but the Braves, to start the season, have started kind of cold. Uh, they, they lost yesterday 12-1 to at the Padres. Uh, look, they've just been having issues. As I said, Eddie Rosario was only hitting 0-43 to start the season. So overall, it's lineup issues. It's The pitching staff hasn't been as good as we would think it was. Uh, they actually lead the league in runs allowed, which is not good, considering that they're supposed to have a talented pitching staff that's supposed to hold other teams down. It's definitely not doing that so far. Uh, but look, I think they'll get better over the course of the season. Their pitching staff is better than highest ERA in the league, definitely. I think that's just, there's no way that's going to continue. And then their hitting will come around again. And when they get Ronald Acuna back and everything, they'll be back to where they need to be to be in championship contention again. But right now, they are definitely not having a great start to the season. Okay, let's move over to the NL Central. 
Well, we have a surprising leader in the NL Central and a surprising leader of that team. The Chicago Cubs are 4-2 to start the year. Then you have the Cardinals, who are 3-2 in second. The Brewers, who are 4-3 in third. The Pirates at 3-3, honestly, better than I thought they'd be. Uh, And then the Reds at 2-5. Look, the Reds kind of shipped everybody off. The Pirates didn't sign anybody. We know these two teams are going to be at the bottom of the division. However, we didn't know that the Cubs were going to end up at the top of the division. And we also didn't know that after uh, after great seasons in Japan, many, many years in a row, that the Cubs would be able to transition uh, Seiya Suzuki into the MLB very, very quickly and very, very well, might I add. Uh, overall in the year, he's been playing very well. He led them to a bunch of their wins earlier in the year. Uh, so far on the season, he's hitting 368 with three home runs and 10 RBIs. He's tied for second in home runs and RBIs. So look, he's having a great year with a one with a 1.395 OPS, which is just ridiculous. Obviously, that's not going to stay. Uh, as it, none of these stats will really stay the same. But look, it's supposed to be the narrative that when people come in from other leagues, uh, international leagues, they don't do well to start. And even prospects, too, obviously, coming up from the minor leagues, it normally takes these guys a few games, more than a few games, actually, sometimes even a few seasons to really get acclimated and be at their full potential. We saw that Shohei Otani had, you know, one season where he was he was good, but he wasn't great. And then last year, obviously, he breaks out and has an MVP season, almost leads the league in home runs. He was great. He was insane last year. He was amazing. Uh, but Seiya Suzuki has transitioned very, very quickly, starting off the year really, really strong and really leading this Cubs team to a good record to start off the year. Uh, but I wouldn't even argue they're the biggest surprise. I think the biggest surprise in the NL and in the whole league is in the NL West. So we're going to move on to the NL West now, where in first place you have the Colorado Rockies at 4-2, and two, also tied with the Dodgers at 4-2 and two, and the Giants at 4-2, and two, and also tied with the Padres at 5-3. and three. And then you have the Diamondbacks at 2-5 and five at the bottom. Obviously, we know the Diamondbacks aren't going to be doing much this year, so I'm just going to go away from them. But look, I kind of called the Rockies a little bit stupid for getting Chris Bryant because I thought, what's the reason of getting a player that's supposed to be on a contending team when you're not going to be contending? And yeah, it's early in the season, but I actually do like what I've seen from, the, from this Rockies team. I really feel like their pitching staff is good enough that... Their numbers won't look great by the end of the year because they play at Coors Field, but if you take adjusted numbers and advanced stats, they'll probably have one of the better pitching staffs in the league when you actually look at adjusted numbers and stuff like that by the end of the year. I think they could easily be a top 10, uh, at least a starting rotation can at least be top 10 in the league, maybe even top 5 if they're lucky. But I do think that also having Chris Bryant is kind of that veteran anchor, and now you have C.J. Crone, who's had a good season last year and now having a good season again. As long as you get one or two of those young guys to really pitch in uh, every every so often, honestly, not even having to be every game, and then you get Charlie Blackman playing like he should, Chris Bryant and, and C.J. Crone playing like they should, you're going to have a good team this year. So I honestly don't think, and by the way, by a good team, I do not mean a Dodgers, Giants, or Padres level good team, at least when Tatis comes back, but I do mean good enough to maybe contend for an NL wildcard spot. I could see them fighting with the team like the Phillies, with the team like the Cubs, or at this point, even the Cardinals, uh, assuming the Brewers come back and win that division, I-, I think they could fight for it. And considering that there are three wildcard spots, I just named all second place teams. Three of those teams are going to make it. I- I'm assuming, I'm assuming honestly, that the Dodgers and the Giants are going to make it. Honestly, from the NLS, I think it's going to be the same battle as last year with those two to try to win the division at the end of the year. Uh, but then I think 
you still have you have the central winner and then the east winner, who I'll say is probably going to be the Mets at this point. And then, you know, the Braves will probably take a playoff spot. And then it's really down to just who's going to win a battle out of the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Phillies, uh, the Rockies, and the Padres. And that's a giant battle, and you never know what could happen. Uh, and look, I think the Rockies have a team that's just good enough on offense that Coors can carry them to be an above-average offensive team, and they have a good pitching staff. So overall, I think the Rockies are the surprise team, but you can kind of see where why they're so good so far. But let's move on to the best team still in the league, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Had a great start. Uh, well, not didn't have a great start, actually. Had to eh, start, I'll say, to start the season, uh, having the Rockies take two of three from them at Coors Field. But then they kind of started to kick it in high gear a little bit, in Minnesota after being 1-2, and two, uh, Clayton Kershaw pitched a near-perfect game. Well, actually, he did. He pitched a perfect game. Was taken out in the seventh inning. It's been debated, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to talk about it too much. Everybody who has their opinion has their opinion. But even Clayton Kershaw was okay with the decision. So if he's okay with the decision, I'm okay with the decision. Uh, but look, overall, as soon as that start happened, the Dodgers haven't lost since. And uh, they're still playing very well. They're playing the Reds right now, so that should be a series where they could take three or maybe even all four games, uh, you'd assume they would. And then you come out of that series, if you sweep it, you end up six and two, you end up seven and two to start the year. So after a terrible start against the Rockies, that could be five wins in a row possibly for the Dodgers. Currently that win streak sitting at three in a row. But let's move on to the third place team who obviously won the division last year. The Giants went four and two to start the season all at home. And by the way, I should mention, five of those six games for the Dodgers so far have been on the road. They were the best home team in baseball last year so. Nothing to worry about even being 4-2. They probably can get even better when they start evening out the home games with the away games. But let's move on to the Giants, who have only played home games so far this season. Uh, They've still started out the season good, though. Uh, They're a good team. They will continue to play well. They played the Padres, and they played the Marlins to start the the season. So I think 4-2 is about right where they should be uh, with those two games, or with those two series and those being at home. But overall, I like where the Giants are at. I like how Carlos Rodon has pitched. Obviously, Logan Webb has kind of become the ace of that staff, even though Rodon is definitely of that caliber. Uh, and overall, they have a good pitching staff. They have a great bullpen, and they have just a good enough lineup to get them through their games. And I think they're built to win long term, and they're built to win a lot of games this year. I don't think this team will be denied from the playoffs, contrary to your beliefs. Uh, but let's move on to the yeah. Padres, who, well, they they looked like they were struggling a little bit without Tatis to start the year. Uh, they had six no-hit innings from both of their first two starting pitchers uh, with Manaya and with Yu Darvish, and yet somehow were only one and one in those games. But then they've then they've cleaned it up. Then they've cleaned it up for the rest of it. Uh, they they got the Diamondbacks in every game for the rest of that series, and then I believe they had two of three taken from them by the Giants. So overall, it's not like they've played their best, but it's not like they've played terribly either. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Padres do end up third in this division. I don't think they're getting above the Dodgers or the Giants, uh, but I, I definitely do think they'll still finish better than the Rockies. I, I do like what the Rockies have, but I still don't think they're going to end up better than the Padres, especially because the Padres at some point are going to get Fernando Tatis back, and then we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, it actually really depends on how long he'll be out. If he's out four months, maybe not, actually. But uh, overall, the Padres will be just fine long-term and already have a good start to start the season. Okay, well, that wraps up our weekly look at Major League Baseball. Let's turn our attention to the NBA, where the playoff brackets have been set. And so we will do a preview of the NBA playoffs, starting in the Eastern Conference, where we have the number four seeded Philadelphia 76ers 
playing the number five seeded Toronto Raptors as the first series we will look at. Matisse Thibel will be out for every away game in this series because of the vaccine mandate in Canada, uh, which is known because he didn't play less than a few weeks ago when Philly was in Toronto. Uh, otherwise, obviously, that information wouldn't be out there, but now we know that because of that. Uh, but I'll move on from that and just say, look, I am not very confident. There are so many things to not like about the Sixers, having a guy who was a starter for a good amount of the year, not being able to play in half the games, having to reintegrate him back in when he's not, when, you know, when they're back in Philly. There's so many things there. Uh, Harden not playing well in general. Harden not playing well in the playoffs ever. Uh, So there's a lot of things to worry about when you're talking about the 76ers. So that gives me some pause about it, but I'll say... I give them a 55% chance of winning the series, and I'll say they win in seven games uh, because I think, honestly, I'm very, very close to picking Toronto. And if Toronto wins game one, they'll close out the series in game six at home. That is my prediction. But I do think that the Sixers will win in seven games. And uh, I agree with you. I'll take Philly in seven very close series. That can go either way, but uh, ultimately Philadelphia wins that crucial game seven by virtue of the home court advantage. So let's move on to the number one, number eight matchup, which is the Miami Heat with the one seed and the Atlanta Hawks by virtue of winning their play-in game tonight are the number eight seed. I think the series could change very, very drastically on the basis of the health of Clint Capella, uh, who injured himself in the second half of the Hawks' play-in game. It was a knee injury, so you know how that can go. That's either that's either hopefully it's minor, but... Uh, even if it's minor, even if it's a even if it's a sprain, it could still take him out for a, a, probably enough to take him out for the whole series. Uh, and then, if it's obviously a larger injury, we won't even be seeing him until next year's playoffs. Uh, at that point, or maybe next year in the middle of the year. But let's hope it's not that. But that is how it goes with the injuries. Uh, hope that Clint Capella is healthy. Maybe he won't be. I don't really know, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I will say. I think that the Heat still win the series in six games. I think that they steal one game on the road. I had a tough time picking them in six games because I feel like if Atlanta has their backs against the wall, they won't lose with the series on the line at home. But I also don't think that... I also don't see this series being a seven-game series because I don't think that the Hawks can extend it that long. And I don't think it's a five-game series because I don't think that I don't want to slight the Hawks that much to the point where I'm saying that they lose this series in five games. I just don't feel like that's truthful to their level and their ability. So I'm going to go ahead and say six anyway and say that that's the game that the Heat end up uh, stealing. But that's more of a conservative prediction based on the fact that I believe that's the right amount of games that this series should go, but it will probably be a little bit quicker than that. I might be giving the Hawks too much respect. I think you are. I think the Heat win in five. Uh, so let's move on to the 2-7 matchup which is the Boston Celtics as the number two seed in the East against the number seven Brooklyn Nets. Well, I will say this matchup honestly reminds me a lot of last year's matchup between the Lakers and the Suns, where everybody assumed that because the Lakers had LeBron and AD, that you can't believe in the Suns, whatever, young star this, Chris Paul that, who cares? It's still it's still LeBron and AD, and they'll have enough to win the series. And then stuff didn't go right for them, and all of a sudden the Suns win that series, obviously make it all the way to the NBA Finals. I think we're looking at the same thing this year. I think that everybody's thinking the Nets have KD and Kyrie, and they'll be fine, and they'll figure out a way to win, to beat Boston. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that Boston, and that's not to say that everybody thinks that, and that's not to say that everybody thought that about the Suns last year before I, before I move on. i got to clear that up. But 
I think that was a widely held belief. That was really the reason why it was still, it felt like a 50-50 series at the start of it. But look, I think Boston has proven this year that they're an up-and-coming team and they will play very, very well. Uh, Robert Williams is expected to be out for the first round of the playoffs. He will definitely be out through at least game four or five based on his initially listed four to six week recovery period. With Williams, I would take the Celtics in six, but without him, I'm taking the Celtics in seven, although it will be very, very close and I'm not confident in this prediction at all. I will say I'm actually more confident in the Celtics winning than the 76ers winning, honestly, just by a little bit. Maybe I give the Celtics a 56% chance to win the series as opposed to Philly's 55. But with Williams, I'd be taking the Celtics in six. It feels like a true toss-up here without knowing his status, uh, but I'll take the Celtics in seven in the end. All right, well, I got to disagree with you somewhere, so uh, I think this one is a toss-up also. So I'll take the flip side, and I will say Brooklyn pulls the upset. Probably the most heavily debated series, yeah, for sure. Yeah, wins in seven, and Brooklyn's not a true seven seed, given all the issues of player unavailability during the year, and now Kyrie's going to be fully available for them. So, But that's exactly what we thought about the about the Lakers last year, and that didn't turn out well for them either. Well, so who, kno- who knows? So who I knows? say Brooklyn at seven. Let's move on to our final series, the number one three, the number three seeded defending world champion Milwaukee Bucks against the number six seeded Chicago Bulls. The Bucks are winning the series in five. They've dominated the Bulls all year long, and the odds reflect it. According to Fox Bet and a few other sources, at least in this ballpark, they are minus one thousand favorites to win the series. The biggest odds by any other team to win their series is currently Memphis at minus four hundred to beat Minnesota. But that's also before the 1-8 matchups are fully set in with the odds uh, kind of out there. So that that probably will shift when you have, I would assume the Suns might be favored by as much as the Bucks are, if not more, honestly, in their series. Uh, but look, the Bucks have played well against the Bulls all, all year long. Uh, the Bulls still never beat a top three-seeded team in the East. And, uh, well... They're playing a three seed, so it looks like it's not going to happen. I think that trend continues. I think the Bulls steal one game at home, but I think that the Bucks close it out in five. I agree with you. Bucks in five. So let's move on to the Western Conference, where the first matchup we'll preview is the number four-seeded Dallas Mavericks against the number five-seeded Utah Jazz. Luka Doncic is doubtful for game one. Uh, if he doesn't play, Utah will take game one in the and swing the series immediately in their favor. If the Mavericks were fully healthy, I'd take them in seven. But with the injuries, I think Utah will close out at home. They are so tough to beat at home uh, every year. And uh, I think they win in six because they won't let it get to a game seven in Dallas. But this series will be a very close and a very entertaining series. That is my one true prediction that I know I won't be wrong on. I can guarantee that this series will be a fun one. Uh, unless Luka doesn't play the whole series, and maybe not. But I assume he'll play. Look, he's doubtful for game one. I would assume that based off of the way that the playoffs work in the NBA, he's at least going to play in Game 2, whether it be on a minutes restriction or anything. And maybe he even plays a little bit in Game 1 or plays or, or plays uh, in somewhat of a normal capacity. But I think that overall he'll make it interesting. Whenever you have an MVP candidate in a series, it's always interesting, especially when his team is not the favorite, uh, when the MVP candidate doesn't have the favorite. So uh, it'll be an interesting series. Uh, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I think Utah pulls the upset also. I've got Utah in seven, although it is strange to be picking the, the road team to win that game seven, but I, I, I'm just trying to reflect how, how close I think the series is going to be. I'll say Utah in seven. Let's move on to the 2-7 game in the West, which is the Memphis Grizzlies as the two seed against the Minnesota Timberwolves, who earned the seven seed by virtue of their playoff, play-in victory in the first game. Well, Patrick Beverly can talk all the trash in the world and get all the fines he wants for doing so on Instagram and 
various social media platforms and posting it. But Minnesota's not winning the series. Uh, they celebrated their play and win like it. They won the championship already. And maybe for them, that is their championship. They should probably hold on to it like that because they're not going to beat Memphis. Uh, Memphis will lose one on the road, but they're still winning the series in five games. I'm very confident about them winning the series. Uh, I got Memphis in five. Although so. I will say, I, th- I, I it could be closer than five games. I'm just very confident in Memphis' abilities. I actually don't doubt Minnesota. Uh, honestly, if they were playing a team that I was less confident in as a two-seed, I would say this, ga- this series is a six-game series. But it's more about my confidence in Memphis than it is about my disbelief in Minnesota, FYI. All right, well, I'm agreeing with you, Memphis in seven. Let's move on to the 3-6 game, which is the number three-seeded Golden State Warriors against the number six-seeded Denver Nuggets. Well, if Steph wasn't going to play in game one or his injury kept him out even longer than just game one, I would have Denver pushing the series to seven games or even maybe even winning the series, edging it out in the end. However, Steph is probable for game one. Maybe he'll be on a minutes restriction, probably in like the 30 to 35-minute ballpark. But he'll play enough. They'll win the game. They'll win game one. They'll keep winning. They'll win the series in six. I think Jokic will help steal a few games from the Warriors, but overall... I still got Golden State in six in this series, and I think that, look, I, I thought, I believed a little bit too much in the Nuggets last year, and it they, it didn't work at all. They were, they got swept by the Suns when I thought they actually might even win that series. I don't even know, I don't know if I predicted that or not, but I thought they could at least win that series. They didn't even come close. So uh, I, I don't think that, I don't think that without Jamal Murray and without Michael Porter Jr. that this team is better than last year's team. Uh the Golden State Warriors this year are definitely not the Suns of last year, but I do think that they're still good enough to easily win this series. They'll win it in six, but Jokic will help steal a few games for sure. Well, I think you're right. I think Denver uh, does have the capability to push it to seven games and will, but ultimately I think Golden State prevails at home in game seven, and they win this series. That moves us to our last matchup in the West. The number one seeded Phoenix Suns will play the number eight seeded New Orleans Pelicans who grabbed that eight seed with the victory on the road against the Clippers tonight. What do you think about this matchup? Well, if the Clippers were saying, I was going to say that if Paul George plays more than two games, the series may go to five games. I think the Pelicans are just a little bit worse than the Clippers. So, Phoenix is going to sweep them. I think, look, there's always a sweep at some point in the playoffs. There's pretty much a sweep in every round other than the conference finals, it feels like, and the, the, the NBA finals. Maybe not the conference, well... I think sometimes there are sweeps in the conference semis, but it feels like there's always a sweep or a five-game series somewhere. Uh, So I think this is that series that you're targeting as that series that doesn't end up that close at all. Uh, I think, look, you just look at Phoenix, and I just don't see enough weaknesses for New Orleans, really any weaknesses, for New Orleans to be able to exploit. Uh, And I just think that uh, Phoenix is going to take their home court advantage, and they're going to run with it, especially for this series. New Orleans has had New Orleans is thirty three and thirty since their three and sixteen start. Uh, they're not a bad team at all, but look, Phoenix is just uh, they're a next level team. They're not a team uh, for for a team like New Orleans to try to beat. Look, they barely beat the Spurs at home. They had to come back to beat the Clippers on the road without Paul George. That that those two performances are just not good enough to justify me picking them to win any games against Phoenix. Although it could still go to five games easily, or maybe even a little bit longer. This game's this series, I guarantee, will not go to seven games. At, at most, the series is Phoenix in six with some ridiculous buzzer beater by Brandon Ingram or something that sends it to game six. But other than that, Phoenix is winning the series pretty easily. Yeah, I've got Phoenix in five. I, I think uh, New Orleans finds a way to win one game. That's it. Maximum one game. And Phoenix wins the series in five. 
All right, that wraps up our look at the uh, NBA playoffs and also ends this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, April 18th, where we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and look at the start of that NBA playoff action that we just previewed. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday and his MLB power rankings, all of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.